Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This is episode number 479, Attack of the Cutscenes, part one. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Anakin to my Palpatine, we've got Carl LeClaire. Oh, I'm just here to ask you to tell Padme to go back to Naboo. Well, that would be lovely. And by the way, you're the most gifted Jedi I've ever met, and that's saying something because... I've met quite a few. <laughs> Thank you, Your Excellency. <laughs> oh, Jason, it is still, in a, in, in a lot of ways, Attack of the Clones year. We're still in the midst of the 20th anniversary year of Attack of the Clones. Of course, back in May, we devoted an entire month of episodes to the incredible Episode 2 Attack of the Clones. And something we, we talked a lot about kind of by happenstance while we did our review of the Attack of the Clones novel was a lot of scenes that didn't make it into the movie that were in fact filmed. So that's what we're here to do over the next two weeks. There are exactly 10 filmed, released, deleted scenes from Attack of the Clones. There are a few other screenshots of deleted scenes that we don't have actual footage of, um, but we are going to be tackling the 10 deleted scenes that are Available between Blu-ray and DVDs and just talking about the scenes that, that, that were cut and whether or not we think they should have been cut. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, we, you know, we're not doing this in order. We'll probably kind of try and hit this with some of the other movies as well, but we're in an Attack of the Clones mood. Uh, so we figured we'd start here. So everyone's very familiar with the, you know, a lot of the conversations we've been having around Attack of the Clones, whether it be Brotherhood or, you know, our discussion on the novel that we had with with Jazz, which was fantastic. Um, so there's been a lot of Attack of the Clones related discussion, you know, with Obi-Wan Kenobi coming out, too. Um, a lot of looking back uh, to this era. So we figured we start here um, also because... We just wanted to start with Attack of the Clones. So um, <laughs> that that helps, too. But, yeah, it's going to be very interesting because a lot of these scenes we did talk about uh, in the novel because they became key scenes to talk about in the novel as yeah. they were cut out of the movie. So right. uh, it was that was a really interesting uh, factor. So there might be some uh, overlap thoughts, but... We're going to come at it from a different angle, uh, as Carl said. So it'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And just to, to make things simpler for all of you listening, in case you're not readily remembering the deleted scenes from Attack of the Clones, we're going to play each of the deleted scenes. So this week we'll tackle the first five, and then we'll get the last five next week. Um, but we're going to play all of these scenes in their entirety, just so that they're fresh in your mind, and then kind of just break them down after we listen to them and... You know, what's going on in the scene? And again, is it, is it something that was worth cutting or should we have kept it type of a question? Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely some scenes in here that are redundant and weren't necessary. And there are some that are really amazing. <laughs> so, right. 
Um, so, Jason, should we just get right to it? And, and, and we're going to play them sequentially as they would have appeared in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and our very first scene is uh, from early in the movie after the attempted assassination on Padme on the landing platform. She comes and surprises the Senate with the with a surprise address. So this is our first scene entitled Padme Addresses the Senate. Must I remind the senator from Malister that negotiations are continuing with the separatists. Peace is our objective here, not war. My noble colleagues, less than an hour ago, an assassination attempt was made against my life. One of my bodyguards and six others were ruthlessly and senselessly murdered. I was the target, but more importantly, the security measure before you was the target. I have led the opposition to building this army. And someone will stop at nothing to assure its passage. Wake up, Senators. You must wake up. If you offer the Separatists violence, they can only show violence in return. Many will lose their lives. All will lose their freedom. I pray you do not let fear push you into disaster. Vote down the security measure, which is nothing less than a declaration of war. Does anyone here want that? I cannot believe they do. Due to the lateness of the hour and the seriousness of this motion, we will take up these matters tomorrow. Until then, the Senate is adjourned. Wow. What a great scene. It is. It is a great scene. Um, I I enjoy it. I think it's great to, to see Padme in action uh, as she addresses the Senate. Um I think, you know, the looking at it from a sort of an objective standpoint, it's like, why did it end up on the cutting room floor? I think the reason ultimately why it was cut is because the information conveyed in the scene uh, is in the crawl, Mm -hmm. you know, that she's, you know, opposing this this measure. uh, And then it's they she meets the the chancellor. Um, after he meets with a Jedi, immediately after the scene, basically, and goes over some of the same material. So I think that's probably why it was cut. Uh, that being said, I'm not sure I would have cut it. I think it's a good. I think it's a good scene. Uh, it especially shows her resilience. You know, going from a bombed out landing platform right into the Senate chambers. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I actually probably would have kept it as well. Um, I think it's it's an important scene for Padme. Um, again, I think that's one of the the 
a couple of the shortcomings of the prequel trilogy is that they've they cut some really key Padme scenes where we really get to see her as a formidable political leader. Now, granted, they've done some great work with that in the Clone Wars TV series, um, but there's this is one of those pivotal scenes where she shows up, and I, I I love her saying, "Wake up, wake up, senators!" Right? She's trying to call the attention to the fact that somebody is meddling in affairs because they want to create a war, they want to profit from a war. Now she doesn't use that explicit language, but she is making it very clear that this there's somebody behind this. Somebody is really pushing for this. And I think mm-hmm. the testament to her character is she's she's just survived an assassination attempt and yet here she is still calling for the suppression of this military creation act. Right? She she is very much sticking to her convictions that even though she was under a threat, she still doesn't want to elicit anything. She will not condone anything that will lead to war, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. inconsistency with her episode one character. Right. Um, and right. it's, it's, it's a, it's a different way to show a similar strength and, and love him or hate him to Ronald Reagan. After he got shot, when he gets wheeled into the, uh, emergency room and he turns to the people about to open him up for surgery and he says, I hope you're all Republicans. You know. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's a it's a similar kind of strength. Obviously, she, she's doing it with an impassioned speech rather than the humor that Reagan had, but uh, she's there to try and really wake things up. She's like, this is a, a defining moment here we need to take action uh, against this act in order to preserve any sort of uh, peace and any sort of, of hope that uh, we have of not going to war, which, as we learn, hasn't happened in over a thousand years. Yeah. And I mean, this scene really does, again, just show the conviction of of her her political idealism. Um, and, and this understanding that by creating a military, by, by showing a, a, an explicit show of force against the separatist movement, it's essentially declaring war, which is right. what she clearly is uh, entirely opposed to. And to think about the scene in the context of when it was written, you know, not long after the attacks of September 11th, when... <laughs> our own Senate created a bunch of stories to elicit going to war Um, and the trauma that that fake war created for, for not only America, but for the middle East. Um, I feel like, again, I don't think George is doing a, 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 a complete parallel there, but just kind of this reminder that there is a danger in the midst of chaos to just have a knee jerk reaction. And, and Padme is, I, I, like I, I see that line of wake up is really saying, hold your horses. Like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's be rational. Let's not just respond in haste without thinking things through. And as the scene ends, what I really enjoy about this is Palpatine. And he, and and again, like, you know, Jason, if you remember from reading the novel, the novel explicitly makes it clear that he's really thrown. I mean, he, he expects her to be dead. He knows yeah. about the assassination attempt, of course, is Sidious. Um, and I love the way Ian McDermott plays even in this scene that, you know, he's like, it's been a long day. We'll come back to this later because I think he's genuinely afraid if they cast the votes now, he'll lose that vote. Right. The, the, the military act won't pass. 
Um, so I love the subtlety of Palpatine's acting here, and I love the subtleties it zooms in on kind of Palpatine's face in this scene. You almost see him somewhat, you know, caught off guard, right? And as we know, Palpatine's always quick to respond, even when things aren't exactly the way he intends. So that's yeah. why he kind of just puts a pause. Hey, everybody, it's been a long day. We're all exhausted. Padme especially. Let's come back tomorrow. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, due to the lateness of the hour and the series of the situation, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll adjourn this, you know. Uh, it's, and you're probably right. You know, they, if they were going to vote now at this point, uh, and I'm sure, you know, news of her assassination attempt uh, was flying all over the halls of the Senate chambers, and you know they were seeing this as a declaration of war, you know that sort of thing, and would have voted for the Military Creation Act right then and there. But she walks in and basically single-handedly puts a stop to it, at least for the moment. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, like we both kind of talked about. Uh, I don't think like I understand why they cut the scene, um, but personally, I think they should have kept it. So, yeah, I I always have to remember that up to this point, this is also the longest Star Wars movie um, yes. made. So yes. they uh, it's longer than any of the other five or the any of the original six that George Lucas made, if I remember correctly. Um and I think it's longer than The Force Awakens, too. I think only Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker are longer. Yep. Uh, I believe that's right. So. Well, and, and this is maybe this is something we can talk about next week as, as we, when we wrap all of the scenes up. But uh, especially when we consider, like, of these ten, maybe even if we choose to keep half of them. I mean, that's probably – you're probably only looking at maybe an extra ten minutes of movie. Um, but you know what you could have cut in replace of that? The entire silliness of the droid factory. <laughs> like that's like a six minute scene that to me is pointless. So cut that and put these put these character building scenes back in. And, and I think Attack of the Clones is an even better movie than it already is. Um, so but again, we can maybe we can have that conversation for fun at the end of next week. Uh, but yeah. So sure. sh- shall we play the next scene? I think we should. All righty. So this scene is, of course, Obi-Wan in the Jedi Temple analysis room trying to get a read on that toxic dot. Place the subject for analysis on the sensor tray, please. It's a toxic dart. I need to know where it came from and who made it. One moment, please. Markings cannot be identified. As you can see on your screen, Subject weapon does not exist in any known culture. Probably self-made by a warrior, not associated with any known society. Stand away from the sensor tray, please. Thank you for your assistance. I know who can identify this. Spoiler alert, it's Dex. (laughs) What? (laughs) Um... (laughs) 
so what are your what's your initial read on this scene, Jason? I uh, I can see why it was cut. Um, this is one that I would have cut as well. It's funny because this was the first scene completed. Like they mm. finally like you know put the the final touches on it, put the completed stamp on it, and then went. Yeah, I think we're cutting it. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and I can see why. Uh, it's it's basically you know Obi Wan getting the information from the droids that nobody and no one uh, associated with anybody has made this. So good luck. Um, and it's just information that he tells Dex, uh, you know, that the droids, the archives, you know, couldn't figure it out uh, in basically his next in his next scene. So uh, it, it's it's a little pointless, um, other than to just show the research resources that the Jedi have and the fact that there's a hole in their resources, which we find out in another scene later so anyways so uh i i can totally see why it was cut i would have cut it too um it's kind of nice to to kind of to see it you know to know that this part of the jedi temple exists but i i I don't need this scene at all yeah i'm i'm with you on that i I don't think this was a necessary scene because again they they kind of cover it later in dialogue with with the scene with dex um uh that said, there are a few things I appreciate about this little deleted scene. First off is the the analysis droids. They look to be the same model of droid that uh, CZ is from Clone Wars episodes and Bad Batch, right? Is that the name of Omega's droid, CZ-1? Um, uh, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I forget. I, I, I need to go back and rewatch Bad Batch before Season 2 comes out. Um, but, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, so it's just cool to see that, like, that droid was first seen actually in this deleted scene from Attack of the Clones. Um, yes. So so I appreciate that. Um, but also I think what I also kind of like is it does – P.S. Like all of these deleted scenes seems to seem to be completed scenes with the fact that they have music in them. So I just want to point out that the music playing in this scene is that kind of – that like Dooku mystery scene of Camino, right? That's the musical motif that John Williams gives us in episode two to kind of convey the sense of mystery and unknowing. So perfectly used in this scene where Obi-Wan's trying to struggle to understand this, this toxic dart. And what I also find striking, what, what I was thinking about when I watched this the other night for the first time in a long time was these droids aren't able to read it simply because Camino's records, any existence of Camino and their culture and anything about Camino has been erased by Dooku. So yeah. that's the only reason that they don't recognize it. It's not actually some great, the bigger mystery is who erased those files, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so like, it, it just kind of struck me that, and, 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 and it's kind of a perfect analogy for the some again kind of a reminder of the shortcomings of the Jedi of the prequel era. They rely too much on reason, on knowledge, right, as opposed to wisdom. Um, so I again, like while I don't think the scene is necessary, I do think there's some neat little nuggets in here. Of um, it shows this over reliance on technology, this over reliance on knowledge. I mean, the fact that they're obsessed with Jedi from finding midi chlorian counts, right? Um, so just a, just a again, like a quick little window into the prequel era Jedi that they're a very scientifically um, anchored order um and not that that's 
wrong or bad, but when when they become too overindulgent in that, uh, it can it can make them short sighted. Um, yeah, over reliance on any one thing uh, is is never a good idea. So. Yeah. So, so I thought in that regard, it was, it was a neat little scene to have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we're yeah. both in agreement. Cut it. <laughs> Cut it. Absolutely. Um, all right. You got next Carl. So this next scene I really enjoy. Um, and I feel like you do as well. And it's, it's known as the lost 20 and it's Obi-Wan talking with Jocasta new while looking at the bust of Count Dooku in the, in the alley of the lost 20. Did you call for assistance? Yes, yes, I did. <sighs> he has a very powerful face, doesn't he? He was one of the most brilliant Jedi I've had the privilege of knowing. I never understood why he quit. <gasps> well, one might say he was always a bit out of step with the decisions of the Council. Much like your old master, Qui-Con Jinn. Really? <gasps> oh, yes, they were very individual thinkers. Idealists. In the end, I think he left because he lost faith in the Republic. He disappeared for nine of ten years and turned up recently as head of the Separatist movement. It's very interesting. I'm not sure I completely understand. (laughs) Well, you didn't call me over here for a history lesson. Are you having a problem, Master Kenobi? I love that scene, Jason. (laughs) It's a nice little scene. Um, And it's, you know, all of what? Maybe... An extra 40 seconds or so. Yeah, give or take. Uh, you know, I I like it. It's it's a nice idea to, you know, sort of give the impression that, you know, Dooku, you know, to reinforce the impression that Dooku was a Jedi. Um, and that that's part of what gives him credibility in being the leader of the Separatist movement. Um it's because he was a respected Jedi, and and the Jedi still revere him enough to have his bust in their library, you know. Uh, and it's kind of funny to to watch Jocasta New because she, you know, almost seems to have a wistful crush <laughs> on him. Uh, yes. So uh, you know, it's it's the a little funny and amusing it. in that re- regard. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. I like it. I can see. Uh, I don't know. I guess they they were just trying to trim down a mm. little bit. I I'm not sure I would have cut it myself, but I can see why because it's it's a, a thread that they don't really pick up anywhere else and don't really continue uh, anywhere else in the movie. So they're just trying to you know keep the essentials at that point. Uh, when you're looking to shave off an extra minute or so of your movie. So um, I can see that this was probably a late cut. I personally wouldn't have cut it, but it it doesn't really affect the movie too much either way to have it in there or not. Mm. So, Well, I, I, yeah, I think like I get why they cut it again, trying to trim time, but to your, to your initial point, it's, it's less than a minute. I don't think you're. I don't right. think you're pushing things by adding it. And here's why I think you do keep it, and why I do really like it. 
first off, again, it just it, it establishes a bit more lore around Dooku that he is this very respected Jedi. Right early in the movie, we hear Mace Windu and Kiri Mundi kind of coming to his defense that he would never attempt assassination. He's a former Jedi, like that's not his thing. Um, and here we see the the temple librarian, you know, wistfully somewhat sensually massaging the bust <laughs> like really really having this deep deep respect for for dooku as this idealist much like qui-gon um so i think maybe her saying like much like your former master qui-gon so maybe that takes away a little bit of the sting from later in the movie when dooku reveals that you know he was once qui-gon's apprentice or uh, a master um but here's why i think it's it's an important scene um first off World building. I love when Star Wars world builds. And that's, I mean, I think this is why Attack of the Clones is one of my favorite Star Wars movies. I feel like this movie might have the most world building across all nine saga films. I Um, agree. And that's why it's my favorite of the prequels. Yeah. So. Yeah, just so much great world building. So, so run, it just, it helps this idea of the Lost 20. It's a really phenomenal concept that, that gets hinted at explicitly in the scene. Secondly, Again, looking at the confusion of Obi-Wan, I don't understand. For Obi-Wan, again, this reminder that he just can't fathom the idea of life outside of the Jedi once you've brought, been brought into the Order, right? Like, this idea of ever leaving this, this Order, this family, is so confusing to Obi-Wan. And, and again, I think that's so important because it's a great foreshadowing of Anakin leaving, Right. Mm. Like this, I for Obi-Wan, it's almost impossible to imagine a Jedi walking away from the order. And then by the time we get to episode three, we see his own apprentice, well, former apprentice at that point, really skirting the lines of possibly leaving the order. Um, Right. So for Obi-Wan, that's just just this idea that someone could leave the order seems impossible. And yet he's going to deal with that very reality in just a few years time. Okay, so. I had a thought while you were talking, yeah. um, and I'm going to sort of revise my my statement. I think you keep it in, um, and here's why. Because you, you said it, it builds up this mystique around Dooku, and that's important because we don't see Dooku until like over an hour into the movie, you know? Yeah. So I think having a little extra mention of him here would have been nice because – uh, you're you're setting up this character, and I, I know there's a couple of scenes that we'll talk about next week um, that of, that he was in that got cut because uh, they didn't want they wanted him to remain mysterious until the end, um, and so having this scene in continues to build up that mystique and kind of continues to bring Dooku to mind, uh, even though we're not going to see him until later on in the movie. So I think you would keep it in. I I think you do. So that's, I think from a narrative perspective, that would be my, my explanation for keeping the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like we said, right, it's about 40 seconds, (laughs) right? You know, it's, it's, it's not hurting much. Just even, even if you want to keep the silly droid stuff, just shave it down a tiny bit, (laughs) you know? Um, yeah, super easy. Um, all right. Well, our next scene is called uh, Padme Hears Anakin's Nightmare. And this is um, prior to her obviously hearing him have the nightmare when they're on Naboo. This is when they're on the um, 
refugee ship heading mm-hmm. for Naboo, and Anakin is in a, like a side corridor trying to get a night's sleep and is woken up by a nightmare that Padme overhears. No. Mom. What? You seem to be having a nightmare. Yeah. You're dreaming about your mother, weren't you? I left Tatooine so long ago that my memory of her is fading. I don't want to lose it. Recently, I've been seeing her in my dreams. Scary dreams. I worry about her. All right. What do you think? Uh, I like the scene. Uh, I I see why they they cut it um, because then you're just having uh, repeated scenes of him of, of Padme listening to dreams. Uh, you know, figuring out that he's dreaming and stuff like that, and you don't necessarily want to be repetitive. Um, but he gives information here that I think is very interesting that, you know, uh, he's he's losing the memory of his mother and he wants to, you know, retain that he wants, you know, and, and the memory that he's having now, you know, this nightmare is not one that he wants to remember. You know, it, it's it's scary, as he says. So I think there's some interesting stuff. So if you maybe combine some of that information with stuff later, I think that would make more sense. Um, so I, I'm of two minds of this because I like the information and the, the character stuff that we're getting from him uh, in this scene and the fact that Padme is inquiring about it and that that sort of stuff is, is you know, making an impact on her. But also, you know, he talks about having nightmares at the beginning of the movie, and then we see him having a nightmare on Naboo that Padme overhears. And, you know, then you're getting into the idea of, is it repetitive? So I'm of two minds about this. I Ultimately, I think I'm okay that they cut it because, uh, you know, we get the information, the essential information uh, elsewhere. But I would have liked some of the details from this scene put in to what we had. Um, so that's kind of – I'm straddling the fence on this <laughs> scene. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny, Jason, because I'm, I'm of the same mind there. Like uh, when I was making my notes, I put in parentheses either, <laughs> like to cut or keep. And, and I think that's a great point. Like if, if, some of this, uh, if some of this dialogue and conversation was just kind of preserved for, the, for when it happens a bit later on Naboo, um, I think, yeah, that it perfectly makes sense to cut. And so I think, I think what's worth keeping is the fact that, again, Anakin is just – quick to show how much he trusts Padme. You know, he, he quickly admits he has have a, had a nightmare. Um, although later in the movie he says, Jedi don't have nightmares. Um, right. Not in this scene. He, he, and I like that. I like that. That's not a quick defense. 
um, of trying to like blow it off because again, Anakin, Anakin can't help but be vulnerable to Padme. I like that. Like it helps again establish just how quick he is to trust her because he feels so comfortable with her. Um, I think something else that is very interesting about the scene in light of some new canon novels in the book Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnson that came out just a few years ago, um, the book that takes place right after the events of episode one, we learned that Padme sends her handmade, uh, I think it's Dorme, back to Tatooine to try to free Shmi. So, Sa- oh yeah, Sabe, excuse me, not Dorme, Sabe. She sends Sabe back to de- Dor- uh, Tatooine to try to free Shmi. Spoiler alert, she doesn't. Um, but at the same time, like it just... It would change the context of the scene that Padme genuinely cares about his mother as well. And I think uh, part of why I like the dialogue in this scene for Anakin, which, again, was just something that's lacking a bit later in the movie um, during this particular type of moment, is Anakin's dreams seem to be manifestations of his own guilt, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I left her there. I'm worried I'm going to forget about her. Um this, it's been 10 years since he's left her, and he made a promise that he'd be back to free her, and that's right. not become any more real for him. Um, right. So I, you know, I think in some ways, Anakin's own dreams, even barring the sense of like Jedi propheticness of them, right. right? I think we as human beings, like when we're feeling guilty or, or, or sad or depressed about something, a lot of times that'll manifest in particular ways in our dreams. So I think it's really interesting that, of course, Anakin's dreams are very tortured dreams about losing his mother. I think it's because it is this manifestation of his guilt that he has still not yet gone back to free her. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, the, that that insight. Um, I mean, I think you could imply that with, with what is said elsewhere, what's said mm-hmm. in the final cut of the movie. Uh, but that insight is more explicitly spelled out in this scene. Uh, and And I think is an interesting one to include you know is it 100 percent necessary for the story no but it's nice uh and you know it, it it kind of gives a bit more weight to his urgency to go back later um so yeah uh, if if we got you know some of this in when he discusses the dreams with Obi-Wan at the beginning or when he talks to Padme about it there on Naboo and why he has to leave, you know, uh, you know, even if he just says, you know, I'm losing my memory of her and I don't want this nightmare to be what I remember. Mm. I have to go. That's a great point. Yeah. Then I think that, you know, that would have fixed all of it, you know, and you could have left this scene out 100% in my book. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's where I stand on it. So, yeah. Yeah. I lo- I, Go ahead. I was gonna say it probably also, uh, upset the flow in the middle of the movie. The middle of the movie slows down a lot anyways. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a big reason why some of these scenes are cut or trimmed is they're trying to find the rhythm and the flow, especially in the middle of the movie, which is already so dense. Um, so I think that's another reason why this one ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. I like that we're of the same mind, though, that we're kind of like on the fence about it, though. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. we get it, understand that it's not there, but wish there was a way to maybe just, you know, cut and paste some of these little moments into the later, later moment that's very similar to this scene. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, a quick side note here, Jason. I've uh, so I actually like have to commute to work every day, and I got like a half an hour drive every day to work to and from. And uh, I've been just re-listening to my audio rip of Attack of the Clones, just reciting the lines because it's super fun. Um, and apparently, the audio rip I have is it must be the DVD version because it doesn't have the and during during the scene in the movie when Anakin's having his nightmare and he's yelling, you know, "Mom, Mom!" Since the Blu-ray cut, right, we've had Shmi's voice piped in, screaming his name. But my right. audio rip does not have Shmi in it, so it must be the DVD version of it. So I was like, "Oh, nuts!" I because yeah. I love I that's one of my favorite editions in in any of the special edition DVD edition Blu-ray editions. Is I love I love hearing Shmi's anguished screams. It just it just makes that scene so much more powerful. Yeah, no, it's it's a great edition and and one that um, I'm I'm glad they made. So I just wish they would find a way to include some of some of these deleted scenes back in and uh, just sort of pulling back for a minute to give sort of a 30,000 foot view at some of these things. Uh, we as audiences now are more used to longer movies uh, because we're used to like an extended mini series mm-hmm. uh, for, for TV. Now yeah. back into the early two thousands, if you you know got more than like two hours and five or ten minutes, that was too long of a movie. This movie is like two hours and twenty minutes as is, so it's already like pushing past that. And studios wouldn't like it. Um, you know, at that time, studios were like, "This is too long. You got to cut. You got to cut." So, I think we're running into you know audiences of twenty years ago what they were used to. Um, versus audiences now and if this movie was being made now i think some of these scenes would still be in there because people are more willing to sit through an almost three-hour movie Mm. um you know whereas 20 years ago that was ridiculous how you know return of the king how did you manage to get that in theaters you know (laughs) Uh, although i think return of the king might have been what started the idea <laughs> that you could do longer movies. So, but that's neither here nor there. So, yeah. Well, and then to to complete this segment of side notes, uh, just to kind of revisit a thing we've talked about in the past, Jason. Just how much I would love somebody to create a prequel trilogy radio drama series, like they did with mm. the original movies. Again, bring in the cast of the Clone Wars to do it. Um, and, and moments like this become far more uh, likely to happen, right? Because, again, you listen to yes. the, the radio dramas of, of the original trilogies, you get so much extra stuff in there that is all dialogue-based, that is all character interaction-based because you can't, you can't spend forever describing action sequences. Um, right. So things like little cutscenes like this, not only are they going to be included, but they might even be built upon and, and, and given even more depth. Um, that's still yeah. like it. That's still my biggest like pipe dream of what I would love for a Star Wars project. More than anything else, I would love prequel trilogy adaptions into radio dramas. I would love it so much. And if I had the skill and wherewithal, I would work on them myself and just get friends who are talented voice actors <laughs> like yourself to recreate them. But I do not have the skill to create something like that. Um, <sighs> If if anybody out there is trying to do sort of like a podcast recreation, you know, in, in sort of like a radio drama style of the prequels, 
please reach out to us because I would love to be involved in that as you know in any way possible, even if it's just us promoting it, you know, because mm. that would be incredible. Um, but yeah, that would be that would be great. I'd love I would love to see something like that. And of course, in this day and age, it's not going to go on radio. It's going to be a podcast. But sure. um, I I would be one hundred percent here for prequel radio dramas of of these movies so absolutely likewise (laughs) um well then so the last scene we're going to cover for this week um is there's this extended landing on naboo scene um and i i really love this scene jason um and in this scene is verbatim in the novel so again clearly from the early drafts uh r.a salvatore put this into his book um and i think it's a really, really important scene that we're going to talk about right after we listen to it, Jason. Mm-hmm. When I first started my training, I was very homesick, very lonely. But I'd always feel better when I thought about the palace, the way it shimmers in the sunlight. The way the air always smells of flowers. And the soft sound of the distant waterfalls. When I first saw the capital, I was very young. I had never seen a waterfall before. I thought they were so beautiful. (laughs) I never dreamed that one day I'd be living in the palace. Tell me, did you dream of power and politics when you were a little girl? No, that was the last thing I thought of. I wasn't the youngest queen ever elected, but now that I think back on it, I'm not sure I was old enough. I'm not sure I was ready. The people you served thought you did a good job. I heard they even tried to amend the Constitution so you could stay in office. Popular rule is not democracy, Annie. It gives the people what they want, not what they need. I was relieved when my two terms were up. So were my parents. They were very worried about me during the blockade. They couldn't wait for it all to be over. Actually, I'd hoped to have a family of my own by now. My sister has the most amazing, wonderful kids. But when the queen asked me to serve as senator, I couldn't refuse her. I agree with her. I think the Republic needs you. I'm glad that you chose to serve. What a scene, Jason. What a scene. What do you think? This is the most essential scene that needs to be put back into the movie. Mm. Same 100%. This is the this is the most important of the deleted scenes uh that we need uh in the movie. And and this is the one that I I am disappointed that had to be trimmed or cut a little bit for whatever reason. Um I think part of it uh, is cut because other scenes were cut. The stuff about, you know, Padme saying that she wants, you know, thought she would have a family by now. Uh, I think that was cut uh, because we don't end up going to see her family and meeting her family. Uh, um, So I think that's the reasoning behind that. Uh, But I think a lot of the information that we get in here is great. It's good information uh it it gives us more insight into padme's motivations 
Uh, but it's also really good to see the two of them just having the conversation and reminiscing about, you know, life as young kids and stuff like that. And it's nice because then we get to see the progression of that to when they have the picnic and they're, you know, they've moved from being young kids uh, in their discussions and reminiscences to teenagers, which is what you do, you know, uh, when you're getting to know somebody, you kind of start and then you kind of give the, the next sort of highlights as you go. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it really lays out Padme's motivations uh, in a way that's implied for for some of her political aspirations. Uh, it's implied in everything else that she does, but not spelled out. Uh, but then in her relational, but the relationship aspect between you know, as far as um, why she and Anakin would get together is completely cut out, mm-hmm. um, and. I feel like that might be just, you know, a case of being too close to the material um, to not realize how essential that is uh, for the crew. You know, you when you're making a movie, you're seeing this stuff day after day. You know the story. You know the information. You know what you're trying to convey. Um, and sometimes you're like, well, I don't need to say that because – that we know this is how it's going to go. And then you forget that people not that close to the situation don't necessarily know that or haven't put those points, those two dots together that you've already assumed makes sense. So, um, yeah, this is a scene that I wish in its entirety was in the movie 100%, um, because it's, it's 100% necessary for, all of Padme's motivation, politically, relationally, everything. Yes. All that. Yes. <laughs> right with you. This is, I think this is, of all the scenes, at least that we've looked at this week, and honestly, I think even when we thinking ahead to what we're going to discuss next week, um, this, I think, might be the most important. Um, it is, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, so so much in this, so much in this. Um, I love that it opens with Anakin kind of revealing that, th- just dreaming, of th- remembering the palace helped him feel a little less alone when he was feeling homesick in the temple. Um, right, just just being there made him feel uh, something akin to being at home. So when he's feeling homesick. At, at the temple interesting that he doesn't i mean he doesn't not say that he also thought about his mother and maybe tattooing but yeah this is what he chooses to think of um and as as i was listening to him say that i remembered years ago uh one of the worst jobs i ever had was i worked at a call center for sprint collecting delinquent cell phone bills one summer oh, oh my god no oh yeah it was terrible it was all the things you could think and worse um like you just d- dealt with miserable people all day for eight hours a day you were just on the phone with really angry people um, and so to try to like, to try to like make myself feel a little more sane, I actually brought a picture of my, my grandparents' living room. I took a picture of their living room one day cause it was just, it was always like my favorite place to be. It was just sitting there with my grandfather. So I brought that picture to work with me every day and just put it in my cubicle 
just like every time I was on a difficult call and I would just look at that and just imagine myself being in a place of peace. And it just made that day a little easier. So I was, so I really like connect with Anakin in that moment saying like, when I was feeling homesick, I thought of this place and it just made him feel a little less lonely, uh, a little less overwhelmed. So I love that. And I love the, 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 the way they just kind of, Anakin's talking about all these things he loves about it, the smell of it and everything. And Padme just almost like seamlessly continues to expound upon the beauty of the palace, right? Like they're so in sync in their mm-hmm. wonder of this place, right? They share that in, in, in common, which is, it's again, really important to highlight that there is this thing intrinsically binding them. Um, and I like that in this scene too, Padme is actually being vulnerable. She's opening up. Like, I never dreamed I'd ever live here when I first came here, right? I'm lost in this wonder of it, and now, boom, I ended up living here? Um, yeah. Right? Like, it's it's somebody sharing that their dream came true. Um, also embedded in here is, of course, a quick side note from Padme trying to school Anakin on the, the workings of, you know, the political system and that the dangers of popular rule. Um, again, that's a very American ideal. When when the founding fathers created our electoral system, they created the Electoral College specifically for the because the founding fathers thought the common American was an idiot. Like that's very true for most of them in their writings. They were worried that people would vote for somebody that was popular, even if they were a tyrant. So they created the Electoral College to pre- to preserve the union from tyranny. Um, so here you have this American ideal embedded in the politics of Padme that while popular rule seems exciting, it's, it's dangerous. It can, you know, sometimes it might be what people want, but it's not what they need. Um, and the final thing that really stands out to me um, is they are on a balcony, Jason. Now, granted, it's not a balcony over a skyscraper or, over, you know, a flying ship over some snowy mountains. Um, but it is a balcony scene all the, scene, all the same and kind of akin to that scene in Revenge of the Sith that I am so in love with on the balcony. Padme is revealing some really, really intimate dreams that she has. When she shares with Anakin, she always thought she'd have a family at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but she gave that up to be a senator, right? And and I don't know enough about how Star Wars politics work because I don't – like those aren't the stories that excite me. So maybe these answers have been answered elsewhere. Um, but it doesn't seem like the fact that you're a senator should preclude you from having a family. I think it's more just Padme's like so dedicated – to public service that she just doesn't have time for one. So I don't think it's yeah. necessarily she's prohibited so much no. as the responsibility prohibits her. Um, but in an interesting way, I think it's another thing that bonds her to Anakin. You know, mm-hmm. she, in a previous scene, says to Anakin, must be hard swearing your life to the Jedi and not being able to do the things you like, be with the people you like, right? So mm-hmm. this is, again, something that, that connects her and Anakin. They both are people who've given up some personal level of freedom in order to serve the greater good. Of course, there's a mutual attraction in that. Um, and, you know... Uh, Again, like I feel like this scene really reveals how Anakin. The scene opens with Anakin revealing he's homesick. Well, people are typically homesick when they're missing family. Um, Yeah, and Padme, in a certain way, is homesick. She also has this longing for a family. So, at the core of their beings is this shared desire for a particular type of family. That in this moment, it's kind of dawning on both of them. 
they could have this together. They want yeah. the same thing. Um, so they, I, I just think they this want is, home. Yeah. They want to be home. And what home looks like, you know, might be might just be together down the road if you know if they are careful you know uh it it is a very beautiful thing and and i'm i'm very happy that you picked up on the the whole balcony theme because that's just a very carl thing and i love it so much (laughs) um but yeah no it, it 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 drives home the fact that yes padme's devotion to her Republic is to the exclusion of everything else. Mm-hmm. And I think Anakin coming back into the picture is making her realize that. Whether it was intended to be that way or not, that's what she's done over the past 10 years, is she has excluded everything else in the name of public service. Um, and maybe she's starting to realize or, or think. I don't necessarily have to do that. And Anakin's the one that's sort of bringing that in. And we don't get that really unless you have this scene mm-hmm. uh, in the movie. So that's why I love this scene so much. And I think it's, it's, a, a, it's a beautifully shot scene too. It it's is. gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, would, I would just love – you know, the next time Disney Plus decides to update the movies, if they just slip the rest of the scene back into the movie, please and thank you very much. <laughs> um, you know, Lucasfilm, from my lips to your ears, please put this scene back in the movie. It's necessary. And, you, you know, she can mention her family without having to see go and see them if you don't want to add the rest of it. But, you know, uh, I think... I think part of that was cut because they cut the family scene. Sure. I'm not sure it makes sense to do that, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, Padme's character motivations, but in terms of the story that they're trying to make sure is told and the fact they don't want any extraneous information out there, I can see why they did it. I don't think it was this right decision, though. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you, and 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 that's the perfect uh, uh, cliffhanger to leave us, Jason. Because next week we are going to look at a f- quite a few deleted scenes from interacting with Padme's family, her parents, her sister, and her niece and her nephew. Um, and uh, yeah, and and like you said, cutting the scene because those f- other scenes aren't then kept does make sense. But maybe we will argue next week why those scenes are also quite important to the story of Anakin and Padme. Yeah. But again, you know, this is all taking place in the very, very dense middle act of the movie uh, that was already too long by many conventional standards uh, of the time. So, you know, there's, there's that aspect that has, that kind of looms over this movie. uh, And part of why, George Lucas is quoted at the end of this movie coming out that's saying movies aren't released, they escape. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure if George Lucas were to come back and do special editions of the prequels, a lot of this content would be back in. Yeah. I I would be surprised if it wasn't. So For sure. Yeah. Well, 
there you have it. There is our, our just kind of initial reads on, on the first half of the deleted scenes of Attack of the Clones. Um, if you've not watched them in a while, again, like we hopefully listening to the clips, even especially if it's been a minute for you, hopefully it was helpful to hear them. But I uh, really would encourage you to go back and check them out. Again, you can find these all in one big compilation on YouTube very easily. I'll, sh- I'll share and I'll share that link on our on our social media this week as well. Um, yeah. In case you want to watch ahead for next week. Right. And <laughs> a lot of the scenes uh, are on Disney Plus if you go to the yes. extras section under Attack of the Clones, but not all of them. Right. So, yeah, uh, that's the nice yeah. thing about the YouTube. Somebody pulled in the stuff from the DVD and the Blu-rays um, so that they're all there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So there you have it, Jason. I'm excited to get back to the to the, to the rest of them next week, too. Me too. It's going to be fun. And uh, this was a great conversation. I'm glad that we're we're having it. And it's sort of a fun way to sort of uh, armchair quarterback a 20-year-old movie, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which we are, as Star Wars fans, are want to do anyways. Um, So, yeah. Uh, But it's great that, you know, while these scenes were cut from the movie, they're still preserved. And still put out there for people to consume uh, to give us the idea that while it may not be seen in the final cut of the movie, it still happened. Yeah. You know, yep. is the implication, uh, especially since so many of it, of these scenes are in the novels and referenced by other material. So for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if people want to weigh in on their favorite deleted scene or any of our thoughts uh, of it, uh, whether or not they agree with us uh, as to which one should have been kept and which one should have uh, been gotten rid of. Where can people get in contact with us, Carl? Well, we are on Instagram at uh, the Wampas Lair and we're on Twitter at the Wampas Lair. Um, and you can always email us at Wampas Lair podcast at gmail.com. Yes, indeed. Anything else before we close down this episode? No, thank you. I'm just excited to meet Rui and Pooja next week. Exactly. That'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. It's been episode number 479, Attack of the Cutscenes, part one. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. (laughs) 